Meditation for the Manic, Part 1, Four Myths About Meditation. This five-part series is all about meditation for the manic. Now, you may ask, am I manic? Mania is defined as being affected by mania. In other words, becoming deranged by the busy. Being inflicted with the weight of a never-ending to-do list. Becoming deranged with the constant pace of life so fast that you've lost all ability to stop and smell the roses. If your to-do list is longer than your list of values, if you think faster than you listen, and if you are always at work even in your sleep, you might be a manic. For those of us with busy lives, screaming children or in-laws, a non-stop mind and an active heart caught up in politics, mania may be closer than we think. At times in my life, I've driven myself so crazy that the only comfort I could find was identifying someone who appeared crazier than I was. Phew! At least I'm not as bad as he is. I'd like to think there was a better technique to turn to, and there is. Meditation. The practice of meditation, meditative time, meditative moments, this helps. Shinru Suzuki, a great teacher of meditation, once said, How can you get your life in order? if you yourself are not in order. Meditation is a meaningful way to get yourself in order. And for us manics, and really all of us I want to talk to, there are four myths about meditation that keep us from doing just that. The first myth, that meditation is hard. Meditation isn't hard. At its most simple, meditation is sitting down and appreciating your breath. Can we all do that? That's not hard to do, right? But for us manics, the struggle comes in being present. A regret, a worry, something on our to-do list we forgot to do. Our minds work best in the present. That's when they're most clear, most creative, most aware. And yet us manics have trained them to not be present, to be in not now. I like to think that it's kind of like a defense mechanism. That in the rat race of life, our minds become just a defense against being now because we fear the vulnerability that now might make us. Meditation can change that. That's how important it is. It can give you your life back again. And it's not hard. It's easy. All you have to do is sit and appreciate something or many things. Your breath, a candle flame, your whole body, a contemplative thought. Now, I love what I'll call the meditation marketplace, but it also has a big problem. At a subjective level, it needs you to think meditation is hard so it can sell you stuff. You must be in a pretzel-like position. Buy this book. Sit up straight. Learn this mantra. Meditation is a workout for the soul. Do it hard, man. Work it. Work it. And don't get me wrong. It's all good. But when in doubt, just sit down and shut up and appreciate whatever is there for you to appreciate. And guess what? You're meditating. The second myth. The goal of meditation is total peace or even enlightenment. How am I supposed to be at peace when everyone at work is yelling? I'm in endless traffic and I can't escape the news cycle. Well, the answer is you're not. You're not supposed to be at total peace. It's okay if you're not a candidate to be the next Dalai Lama. You don't have to be. 
But how about a little bit more peace? Dan Harris, that famous anchor from Nightline who wrote a fantastic book called 10% Happier, he goes on well to describe the activity of what he calls the inner narrator, which can often keep us from feeling at peace. He shares, to be clear, I'm not talking about hearing voices. I'm talking about the internal narrator, the most intimate part of our lives. The voice comes braying in as soon as we open our eyes in the morning and then heckles us all day long with an air horn. It's a fever swamp of urges, desires, and judgments. It's fixated on the past and the future, to the detriment of the here and now. It's what has us reaching into the fridge when we're not hungry, losing our temper when we know it's not really in our best interest, and pruning our inboxes when we're ostensibly engaged in conversation with other human beings. Our inner chatter isn't all bad, of course. Sometimes it's creative, generous, or funny. But if we don't pay close attention, which very few of us are taught how to do, it can be a malevolent puppeteer. And for me, this is such a key with meditation. It's not about creating peace. It's about revealing peace. It's clearing the mind not through ceasing to think, but by thinking more clearly. It's about making sure those thoughts are our own and not someone or something else's. Because if you can't be with the voice in your own head, what can you be with? You lose yourself. And this is what happened to Dan Harris. His ultimate conclusion is that meditation isn't a silver bullet answer. It's not here to save you, but it will make everything about 10% better. And I think that's a great point for all of us in the spiritual living business. Stop striving for perfection and start striving for a little bit more every day. I think in the end we'll find that that's what perfection really is. A third myth. Meditation takes too long. To be an effective meditator, I have to have my eyes closed and say om for like 20 minutes. First off, beware the spiritually buff. Yeah, I'm up to an hour and 15 minute meditation every day. You should try it. I'm so one with God right now. So one. I wish you could see my theta brain waves. They're sick. I have seen zero evidence that a longer meditation is better than a quality meditation. And obviously, quiet time is a luxury when you've got a to-do list burning a hole in your pocket or kids screaming and hanging around your neck. It's okay to be spiritually flabby. As your meditation for the manic instructor, I'm telling you that a five-minute meditation is more than enough. Just shoot for three to five minutes. Sit and appreciate your breath. And if you want a little bit more, say an affirmative prayer or just set some anchoring intentions for your day. As you go on each day, you can go longer. And it might help, but it's not quantity, it's quality. It's not length, but depth. A fourth myth, you can't be distracted to meditate well. This is the biggest excuse I hear for people not meditating. Not only can I not find the time, but I can't find the quiet externally or internally. A quiet space is preferred, but it isn't absolutely necessary. For there's no thing is no distractions. There's no such thing as a distraction-free environment or a distraction-free meditation. Be it a screaming child, construction work, your own chatter, the goal in meditation is never to not be distracted, but to always come back to focus. It's not about not knowing, 
but it's all about returning. When you get distracted, allow no self-beratement. Just get back to your meditation. Meditation for the manic isn't always calm and serene. See, it's often not the manic, the busy, the anxious, the overly conscientious that we have to worry about. It is the calm and serene. Why so calm? Do you not have a job? Is Aunt B caring for your children? Do you not realize we are on a whirlwind of gas called a planet hurling through space? To begin to see calm and serene, not as states of being, but qualities that we can cultivate in the midst of our busy lives, is to realize that even in the ultra-fullness of our everyday lives, there are linings of grace and moments of remembering the sacred.